Right now in traditional and modern worship, our pastors are focusing on unexpected acts. The Gospel of Luke concludes where Acts begins, and the unexpected acts of changed lives and growing churches mentioned therein are inspirited by the unexpected acts of the resurrected Christ. Our pastor's sermons note the prequels and sequels, the befores and afters of the lives and events captured throughout this book. Hear now the scripture from the fifth chapter of Acts. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Uh, This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So it's December 17th in the year 2000. I sit on my living room floor, very pregnant, wrapping gifts for Christmas and watching The Sound of Music which I'm also forcing my husband to watch with me because I'm pregnant and I can. I feel certain we'd celebrated Jim's birthday earlier in the day, but admittedly, his special day took a back seat to the anxiously awaited birth of our first child, who was scheduled to be induced on Monday, December 18th. So we had chosen not to know the sex of the baby because we both felt that there are just too few good surprises once you become an adult. We always seem to be surprised by the amount we owe the IRS or the fact that one of our cars needs four new tires, but rarely is there a good surprise once you grow up. Now, however, once you declare your intention not to find out what you're having, everyone has an opinion about what you're having. People that you meet in the grocery store that you don't know, people in the doctor's office, uh, just people anywhere want to tell you, oh, we think it's a boy or we think it's a girl. And apparently there are all these clues that also let them in on this, how you're carrying the baby, where you're carrying the weight, the type of cravings you have, salty or sweet, all these things are supposed to be clues. So along with a lot of those clues and a lot of people's opinions and also my own gut feeling, I was convinced I was having a boy. I would have bet Vegas money on it. I even bought some blue 
onesies, in addition to all the green and yellow baby paraphernalia that we had gotten. So on that evening, as I sat wrapping gift after gift, my back just began to hurt. I thought, well, you know, it's a lot of strain sitting on the floor with this giant belly in front. I'm sure that's what it was. No, it was not. Contractions had ensued, and we ended up in the hospital that evening and into early morning welcoming our daughter, Catherine Harper Dunaway, into the world at around 3.20 in the morning. Now, the first words out of my mouth in this beautiful, emotional, life-changing, momentous event were these. Seriously? It's a girl? <laughs> completely unexpected, but completely overwhelmed with love, for sure. We begin a new sermon series today, Unexpected Acts, where we're going to dig into portions of the book of Acts, also known as the Acts of the Apostles, which kind of sounds like a Broadway show, but it's actually a sequel to Luke's gospel. We'll look at what it means to be post-resurrection people, early leadership of the apostles, formation of the church, and we're actually going to go backwards to the close the series on Pentecost with the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Now, as Protestants in our predominantly Christian Bible Belt area, we are often so familiar with Scripture and church life and the organization of things here that we find there's little that's unexpected. We face very little opposition in our neck of the woods for our Christian beliefs. We get into a pretty familiar rut, if we're honest, in the sameness of it all. But there's so much to see and discover that can still fill us with wonder and awe and surprise. I want to challenge us to be perplexed by God as we begin this series, just as Mary was when the angel visited her about her impending pregnancy, just as the women were when they discovered the empty tomb, just as the guards are at the empty jail cell in the Scripture that Pastor Bill read a moment ago. Today, we encounter two such perplexing, unexpected acts of courage from some pretty unlikely sources. And hopefully, we can reevaluate what we think it means to be courageous, what that looks like as a, as a Christ follower, not just a world follower. So the first wholly surprising spiritual makeover happens in the apostle Peter. The way he steps up in the absence of Jesus without even missing a beat is one of the most unexpected acts of courage of any of the disciples, I think. Although he's likely much more remembered by people as that cowardly disciple who denied Jesus not once, but three times when he was near death, he shows here he's anything but. Now, it's actually worth reading some text that happens right before this passage to set it up, but here's the short version. The disciples, specifically Peter by name, empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
have left seclusion and begun performing miraculous healings and teachings and telling people all about their risen Savior in Jerusalem, right in front of the temple. More and more people, Jews and Gentiles alike, are responding. They're listening. They're showing some outward signs of respect for the disciples. Verse 14 says, Yet more than ever believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might just fall on some of them as he came by. Now, needless to say, this troubles the Sanhedrin council, the religious authorities who bear large part in the responsibility of having Jesus killed. This troubles them, and they've already issued one warning to Peter and John to pipe down. They can't believe they aren't done with these yahoos yet, so they arrest Peter and company and throw them in the pokey. God has other plans. An angel releases them from jail and tells them to go right back to where they were, start up again, and tell the whole story to anyone who will listen. There's a popular movie. It's one of those movies that always comes on TV repeatedly. It's one of my top ten favorites, for sure. It's called Shawshank Redemption. I rest on it when I'm flipping through the channels and doing laundry and other things and just end up watching it over again. If you haven't seen it, the dramatic storyline follows in Shawshank Prison for an innocent prisoner, Andy Dufresne. And it climaxes with his escape from that prison. The corrupt warden and chief guard discover Andy's cell empty, void of any prisoner inside, but locked from the outside with no initial signs of disturbance. It takes them a very few frustrating moments to realize just how he's tunneled out. And this is such a wonderful moment. Whoever thought to do this camera angle is brilliant because you and I, the audience, look out of the tunnel at the stupefied, amazed expressions of the warden who is corrupt, the guard, and Andy's best friend. I love to think that the guard sent to fetch Peter and the apostles and take them to court, who find that cell also locked but yet empty, have the same exact expressions on their face. How did it happen? So scene two of the showdown in Jerusalem takes place as guards quickly arrest the disciples again. This time, no handcuffs, no force, because they're sensing the tide is changing. The crowd is sort of getting this swell of support for the disciples, and they're starting to get a little worried they're going to take the brunt force of that, which is where our scripture picks up. Peter, assuming the role as chief witness in front of the council of the Sanhedrin, is reminded they were already told once, cut it out. Peter's bold and righteous reply, we have to obey God rather than humans. Peter, confronted by the same authorities who sought to nail Jesus on the cross, 
is able to say with peace and confidence, I know who my Savior is, and he is alive, not shrouded in a tomb. And if I were you, I'd get to know him also. He's not denying or lashing out or cutting anyone's ear off. There's no hate on his part or malice or revenge. He and the other disciples simply want to do what Jesus has instructed them, what the Holy Spirit has equipped them to do, which is share how their lives have changed through knowing Christ. Peter is one of a people of a new way, and it shows. The second unexpected act of courage takes place actually right after this passage. The text that is included in the lectionary is pretty short. Side note, if you're like Maggie, I have no idea what a lectionary is. What are you talking about? It's just this book that ministers use that says, hey, it's a good idea if you read this scripture on this day in church. Thought you might want a little, you know, church 101 there. So once the council hears Peter's words, they're furious. I mean, really mad. And they're like, we're just gonna, this is it. We've had enough. We're doing away with these fellows once and for all. We're gonna kill them. The voice of courage and reason comes from an unexpected, pretty unlikely voice. A well-respected Pharisee and teacher of Jewish law named Gamaliel bravely steps up and reminds the council about past revolutionaries and how their stories ended. Essentially, then, he ends with a caution and these words. Here's my recommendation. Distance yourselves from these men. Let them go. If their plan or activity is of human origin, it will end in ruin. If it originates with God, you won't be able to stop them. Instead, you will actually find yourselves fighting God. The council is convinced by his reasoning. Now, sadly, they do give the apostles a terrible flogging before they let them go, but they do at least at this point spare them from death. It's possible we should all adopt the attitude of Gamaliel who essentially says, let's not be rash here. Let's wait, because if this is just some sort of man-made scheme, it's going to fail. But if it's of God, it will succeed, and there's nothing you or anyone else can do to stop it. If Gamaliel was alive, we definitely would have asked him to serve on the discernment team. Now, just to catch you up, in case you're new this week and you're like, I have no idea what she's talking about, or you have a trigger finger delete email reflex and you haven't read about it, Asbury's formed a discernment team that is made up of our ministers, the different committee heads like finance and SPRC, and lay people to find out more about where our church body stands on the issue of human sexuality that currently faces our denomination. Now, this team does not have any authority whatsoever to make decisions on behalf of the church about which way we end up landing. It's merely a gathering and discerning body to make a recommendation 
to church council and to say to you, the church body, hey, this seems to be where Asbury stands. This seems to be who we are as a people. We'll have survey opportunities as well as a ton of different listening sessions, but we want people to be able to speak and be heard, to be listened to. Now, the General Conference of the United Methodist Church, twice postponed because of COVID, doesn't meet until 2024, but some churches have or will decide to leave the Methodist Church before then. I know, we know, this makes a lot of folks anxious. Why don't we just decide right quick and move forward and be done with it and have a final say one way or the other? Well, our name, Methodist, at first a term meant to ridicule our theological founders who believed in a systematic way of practicing Christian faith is something most of us now would say we're very proud of. It's helped us avoid the pitfalls of sudden and rash change just for the sake of change or decision. Methodists believe that many of the things that separate people from each other are much more important to them than they actually are to God above. One of our founders, John Wesley, said something we take to heart. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. In all things, charity, love. I'm not advocating that change is not necessary for our denomination, but I am saying that when people's lives and hearts and beliefs and faiths are at stake, it is worth taking the time and care to discern, to proceed with the caution and courage of Gamaliel. In the 11 a.m. Easter service last week, I talked about what is it like to celebrate the resurrection on Sunday, it's this huge, beautiful, momentous day, and then wake up on Monday morning and pretty much just go to work or do whatever. I mean, obviously, we didn't all wake up to the sound of our phone alarm going off on Monday, April 24th, completely changed and transformed. After all, we're pretty ordinary folks. We lead pretty ordinary lives. We go to work at the office or elsewhere, or we stay home and work or take care of the kids or grandkids. We clean house, we cook meals, we eat out. We raise our children. We try to live as decent and useful lives as possible. And that's a good thing. We believe in Christ. We love God. But when we pray, we mostly pray in private. We often think that acts of courage are only carried out by heroes, by leaders, by the quarterbacks who carry the ball, but they often arise from those who were once hesitant or timid, like Peter, or someone we might consider to be on the opposite side of the issue, like Gamaliel. Our acts of courage may look different than theirs, 
but I truly believe that they have one thing in common that I hope you will consider as you leave this place today. Vulnerability. If we are going to be true disciples, which we are if we claim to be Christians, we have to be willing to get it wrong, to fail, to have moments of self-evaluation as Peter must have had between the time that he denied Christ and the time he stood up in front of that council when he decided to act out of courage rather than the fear he felt of what others might think about him. Believe it or not, it is courageous to say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I really messed up this time. To wait 24 hours to lash out at someone you believe has wronged you to give time for the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and see how to proceed. It's courageous to be curious about Scripture and not afraid to be a little perplexed. It's courageous to be convicted about your beliefs, but to show love and respect to someone who believes differently, just as you would someone who thinks just like you do. There's a famous researcher an author, Brene Brown, she's got this TED Talk that millions of people have watched, and she's sort of become this odd expert on courage and vulnerability. She said, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It is our greatest measure of courage. Open hearts, open minds, and open more doors takes a willingness to be vulnerable, to be capable of being emotionally wounded, open to attack or damage, or subject to the worst criticism. Can you ever think of a time when Christ wasn't that? Everyone's courage and bravery may look a little bit different, but the message of God is the same for each one of us. Do not hide. You are important. You have value. Do not live in your fear, but step forward with your full heart that I have empowered with the Holy Spirit to act with love. Let us pray. Almighty God, grant that we who have celebrated the Lord's resurrection may be and by your grace confess in our life and conversation that Jesus is Lord and God, that we may have an openness to share our experiences and life with others through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen.